right, good morning, downtown church. Glad to be here with you. And I got to say, I, I love those old hymns, especially when we're celebrating the eternal truths like that, when we all get to heaven. And I hope we all know that is a very real reality for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen, church? If you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Revelation chapter 2. And as Pastor shared with us last week, if you don't know where that is, go to the maps and hang a left, okay? It's right there at the end. Revelation chapter 2. We are in a series right now called Dear Church. So in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we find seven letters that were penned to seven specific churches. Now, the Apostle John is the one who actually penned the words for these letters, but John makes it clear they're not from him, they're from the Lord Jesus. Jesus was speaking directly to these seven churches. Now, they're not generic letters, they're, they're all different in nature, and the reason being because all churches are different. There are some churches that do some things well, while they might need work in other areas, or maybe they need to repent of something. It's kind of like us, right? Some things we do well, some things we need work on, and some things we need to repent of. Last week, we looked at the church at Ephesus. Jesus told the church at Ephesus that they were doing a lot of good stuff. He said, look, I know your works. I know you're doing lots of good things. Keep it up. But then he transitions the letter. He says, but this I have against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. The church at Ephesus had gotten so busy doing good things in the name of Jesus and even for Jesus. But they had abandoned loving Jesus in the process. And that's a word of warning and caution for us because any one of us can find ourselves doing the exact same thing. As we go through this study, you might find that you come to a letter for a church and you're like, whoa, that one resonates with me. Or, or maybe you catch a nugget out of this letter and a nugget out of that letter and you're like, okay, yeah, I, I see where I line up with these things. I, I want to say that's not by accident. It's not. There's a reason Jesus wanted these words, these letters in the canon of Scripture that has been preserved for us for thousands of years. He has preserved his word and these letters for us because we need to hear them. We need that encouragement. We need that correction at times. I believe right now our nation, our culture... I believe we're primed for revival. Amen. I really do. And as Pastor shared last week, we're primed for an awakening. We, we, I hope we long to see as Christ church the lost be found. That they too can sing that song, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. So, with all of that being said, let's go to God's Word together and let's study this letter together. If you're new here to Downtown Church, we like to stand for the initial reading of God's Word. So if you would, stand at this time. Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11 reads, 
And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. This letter was written to a church in a city called Smyrna. In the location of Smyrna, Smyrna is no longer a city, but a Smyrna would have been in present-day Turkey in, in an actual city that's there now called Izmir. Interestingly, if, if you were to survey the New Testament and figure out, okay, where is this happening geographically, two-thirds of the New Testament can be traced back to modern-day Turkey, which is really interesting when you look at the state of that region right now. Right now, in present day, there are 74 million people living in that area around present day Turkey. About 3,500 of those people living there right now are professing Christians. Think about that. 74 million people living there and only 3,500 professing evangelical Christians. And this is a place that was once really the hotbed of Christianity where the Christian faith exploded. A couple of thousand years ago in that city of Smyrna, there was about 60 to 100,000 people in that city. So if you've ever been to an Alabama football game, it'd be kind of like that. That was the population of this city there in Smyrna. And that city fell under the reign and rule of the Roman emperor Domitian. Domitian was not a friend to Christians. In fact, he wanted to do away with the Christian faith. And so he began persecuting severely Christians that were living there in that region. So much so that many were falsely arrested, accused, beaten, tortured, and some, and really many, were killed. And that's actually what was going on as this church is receiving this letter from the Lord Jesus. About 50 years after this letter was written, in 155 AD, 50 to 60 years after this letter was written, in 155 AD, the church at Smyrna lost its pastor. But they didn't lose him because he took another church role in another state or city. They didn't lose him because he retired. He was brutally killed for pastoring Christ church, for boldly preaching the gospel. His name was Polycarp. Polycarp was an early church father. And church history tells us that Polycarp was discipled by the apostle John, the same John who penned these words. 
And so John raises up Polycarp, invests in him, pours into him, sends Polycarp over to Smyrna to faithfully shepherd the flock of God there in the city of Smyrna. And as Polycarp is there in Smyrna, he's faithful. He's preaching the gospel. He's making disciples. He's loving on the body of Christ there in that city. And then the authorities start coming up against him. We're like, we've had enough. And they start threatening Polycarp. But he doesn't yield. He doesn't back down. And so Polycarp was falsely tried, arrested, and then sentenced to execution. Historians tell us that Polycarp was led into a stadium filled with people. Large, massive crowd gathered together for one reason, to watch Polycarp be burned at the stake. And so they lead Polycarp in front of this massive crowd. And they give Polycarp one last chance. They're like, okay, look, you're an old guy now. You can live out your days in peace. All you have to do is deny Christ. Deny Christ and declare that Caesar is Lord. Here's what Polycarp had to say to that. Eighty and six years I have served him, and never once has he harmed me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? He didn't hesitate. He didn't flinch. He knew what was coming, and he did not hesitate. Church history tells us that they were about to bind him to the stake to be burned. And Polycarp says, it's okay, I'm not going anywhere. The Spirit will empower me to bear the flames. And without being tied up, Polycarp willingly stood there by the stake and was burned alive and died a martyr's death. I share that story with you because I sincerely believe that Polycarp had read this letter. He had read this letter, he had studied this letter, and he took it to heart. So much so that when he faced his own death, his own suffering, without hesitation, he took Christ at his word. May we do the same, church. Which leads us to this letter. And by the way, the church at Smyrna, we're going to see in this letter that the Lord Jesus is commending them. This is not a corrective letter as it was with the church at Ephesus. No, it's an encouraging letter for this church at Smyrna. Which leads us to our first point for today. Number one, dear church, you know of my power. You know of my power. In verse 8, Jesus says this, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Okay, so if you've ever sent mail, which I'm sure most of you have, you, you have the to section and you have the from section, right? So the letter is to the angel of the church in Smyrna. And you might be thinking, well, does downtown church have an angel? I don't know. We'll have to ask the Lord one day. But that's not actually what is happening here. Most theologians believe that this is Jesus saying, hey, get this letter to the pastor of the church. The word angel literally means messenger. And so the idea here is Jesus gives this letter to the pastor and say, says, hey, take this message and share it with my church. Share it with my people. 
And what does the letter go on to say? It starts off the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. And Jesus now lets him know who the letter's from. It's from the first and the last, the one who died and came to life. And he's reminding the church of his power. He is the first and the last. He is the alpha and the omega. To put that more simply, he is Lord over time. I don't know if you know this or not, but God is not not bound by time. He's not bound by a clock. He's not bound by calendars. He is Lord over time. He is the first and the last. He also says that he died and came to life. I know it's hard for us to relate sometimes with people in the Bible when their situation is so much different than our own. Clearly, they were going through extreme suffering in their church and in their community. But I will say this, there are brothers and sisters today that are experiencing suffering much like this. And they need to be in our thoughts and in our prayers and we need to support them how we can. That being said, in order for us to better understand what this letter is really about, I'm gonna ask you to imagine, okay? Imagine that you were living in Smyrna some 2,000 years ago Imagine that you come to faith in Jesus. You get to turn on your light bulb there in the church of Smyrna. Okay, they didn't have light bulbs then, but you get the idea. Imagine you come to faith in Jesus and think about how that would play out. Your family, both close and extended, people that you spend all the holidays with, people that you often share meals with, people that have always been there for you. As soon as you become a Christ follower, they're done with you. They want nothing to do with you. Imagine your friends and your neighbors. They still live right down the street, but they also are done with you. And not only are they done with you, now they're threatening you. They're threatening your family because you name Christ. Imagine you hear about someone in your church. They've been arrested. They're in prison. You find out they've been beaten. You find out that they've been tortured. Maybe you even find out they've been killed. That's what this church was going through as they receive this letter from the Lord Jesus. And what does Jesus tell them? He says, I'm the first and the last. I'm the one who died and came to life. And I can think of no better encouragement from the Lord Jesus than to remind them, hey, I died and I came to life. Oh, and by the way, you also have eternal life through me. What better encouragement, what better reminder for this church? We often sing a hymn that many of us grew up singing. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Why? Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. 
I think that early church, if that was around back then, they would have sung that one around this time. May we also cherish those truths. I know we're not experiencing what the church at Smyrna was dealing with, but it would do us well, church, to be reminded of the power of God. Truly, to be reminded that he is the first and the last. Maybe today you're, you're kind of panicking because you don't understand God's timing. Maybe you're panicking because according to your schedule and your plans for your life, you feel like God should do this. Take comfort. He is the first. He is the last. He's never been late in his will unfolding in this world. Not once. We can trust him. He is good. We can also take comfort in knowing that he died and came to life. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Psalm 116, verse 15, which says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That's a sacred truth for God's people because the moment that we often fear in this life, death, that moment when you breathe your last is actually a very, very special moment when God the Father and us his children see each other face to face we can have hope in light of death I pray you have that hope if not you can today if you will repent of your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus you too can be saved amen, amen. number one dear church you know of my power number two dear church I know of your poverty look at verse nine with me if you would I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich in the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. All right, if you're underlining or highlighting today, I would underline those words, I know. It's as if Jesus is looking them in the eyes and saying, I know. I know what you're going through. I know what you're dealing with. I know what you're feeling right now and church be comforted he knows what you're dealing with he knows the trials and the sufferings and the tribulations that you encounter in this life and he knows and he cares Jesus mentions a few things that he knows about this church in particular he says I know your tribulation the word tribulation can mean suffering but it can also mean a great pressure and it's the same word that they would have used back in Bible times to describe the weight of a rock pressing down on someone, crushing them to death. And it's as if Jesus is saying, I know. I know about the great pressure you're feeling right now. I know you feel like you're being crushed to death right now. I know. Jesus knows what his church is going through. And they were experiencing tremendous pressure. They had everyone around them, people that they've known and loved all of their lives, trying to convince them to think and believe like everyone else. Get with the program. What are you doing? Everyone around them was trying to get them to conform to the ways of the world, to forget that Christian faith stuff. That sounds a little weird. Do away with that. 
get back on track with what's normal around us. Church, make no mistake, the pressure was not just for the days of Smyrna, for the church at Smyrna. That pressure is happening here, is it not? There is an increasingly great pressure that is bearing down on Christ's church today. And can we get real? It's going to get harder and harder. It's going to get harder and harder to stand for truth. It will require more sacrifices from God's people to take a stand for what is right, to take a stand for Christ. It's going to get harder and harder to train up our kids in the way they should go. And why is that? Because the culture around us is going to say, y'all are weird. This is normal, just like in the days of the church at Smyrna. In the midst of the pressure, they were remaining faithful. And to add insult to injury, not only were they experiencing this pressure from the culture around them, they were actually really struggling financially. I don't know if you've ever been in that boat before. It's not fun. It's not fun to struggle financially. Maybe you're there today. Look what it says here in Revelation 2, verse 9 again. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Once again, Jesus is saying, look, I know. I know you're struggling to pay your bills. I know you're struggling to feed your family. Now, there were some in the church at the time that they received this letter that they had been in poverty maybe all their lives. But there were also others in the church that were more recently in poverty. Because what would happen is you would come to faith in Jesus. You're surrounded by these people that had been supporting your, your business, your family business, your trade. And they would come to you, buy your items, use your services. But now they want nothing to do with you. And it literally costs them their support. It costs them feeding their families. And so now there's families, there's people that are really struggling so much so that the, the word poverty is used here. It's not just that things are tight. It means they literally have nothing. But I love what Jesus clarifies about their poverty. Verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Sounds like an odd thing to hear from the Lord Jesus. Jesus, I thought you knew. I thought you knew I was in poverty, but now you're telling me I'm rich. Jesus knew exactly what was going on when he said that. And I want to be clear, Jesus is not dismissing their poverty. He knows that it's a struggle. He's saying, I know, I get it. If you go back to the earthly teachings of Jesus in his earthly ministry, Jesus taught his disciples. He said, hey, the Lord cares for the lilies of the field. He cares for the birds of the air. How much more will he care for you? God cares for the needs of his people, and God does meet the needs of his people, but it was still really hard for this church and so Jesus isn't dismissing their poverty. But he was trying to help them with perspective in the times that they were living in. In the world's economy, according to the world's economy, <laughs> they were dirt poor. They had nothing. But where it really counted, 
for eternity. They were incredibly rich. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Okay, it doesn't matter how much you have in your 401k. It doesn't matter how much you have in your checking account. You can be rich. This is not a health, wealth, prosperity message, to clarify. Okay? That's not what we're talking about here. And here's why. And Paul shares a quick story here. Jesus was rich. He was with God the Father, with the Trinity, and he was living large in heaven. But then Jesus bankrupted himself and came down in the form of man. He took on flesh. And because Jesus was obedient to die on the cross for our sins, and because Jesus was faithful to be raised from the dead, now we can believe in him and have eternal life. And so when Jesus was raised from the grave, the riches of God were lavished on Christ. And now when we come to Christ, we inherit that. The riches of God are poured out onto God's people. And we experience that for all eternity to come. Can I get an amen? Amen. We believe that to be true. And Jesus continues in his letter to the church at Smyrna by letting them know, number three, dear church, I know of your persecution. Look at verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Okay. There's sometimes you open a piece of mail, and it's fun, and then there's sometimes you open a piece of mail, and it's not fun, right? I imagine this falls into the latter category for this church. They read this part of the letter, and it would have been hard to hear. Jesus tells his church, he says, get ready, you're about to suffer. Get ready, some of you are about to be thrown into prison. Get ready, some of you are about to die. A few months ago, I took my daughter Hallie uh, to the doctor, and uh, the doctor said, well, uh, she needs a shot, and so we're going to go get that ready. And so they left the room and closed the door, and Hallie looks at me in tears, just flowing. She's just sobbing. And so I sit down next to her on that table with the crinkly paper, and I hold her hands, and I look at her. I'm like, sweetie, it's going to hurt a little bit, but it'll be over in just a minute, like not even a minute, a few seconds. And we finally got the tears to stop flowing, and she mustered up the courage, and she was fine. I think that's what Jesus is doing on a much grander and much more serious scale. He's letting his church know, look, you're about to go through some suffering, but it won't be forever. In fact, he, he even puts a time limit on it. He says that this will, uh, this will happen for 10 days. You will have tribulation. So even though prison and possibly death were looming and very real realities for this church. Note those first 
few words of this part of the letter. Look at verse 10 again. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Jesus, speaking to his church, says, hey, look, you're about to suffer, but don't fear the suffering. If you have kids, maybe you have things that you have to repeat over and over again because your kids need to hear that over and over again. There's a reason that God in his word, by the way, says 365 times something to the effect, do not fear. That's one for every day of the year, folks. Okay? One for every day of the year where God says, don't fear. Do not fear what you're about to encounter. And why do we need to hear that so many times? Because we have a tendency to fear, right? It's part of the human condition that we all deal with. I I counsel with people in our church and from our community often, and one of the recurring topics that comes up is fear. Forms of fear, anxiety going on in our lives. If you're dealing with fear today, I just want to read a few passages of Scripture. And I I hope you just let them wash over you this morning. Check this out. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Psalm 34.4 reads, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Maybe we're not dealing with what Smyrna was dealing with exactly, but maybe we're dealing with fear. I pray you're comforted. I pray that the Lord delivers you from all of your fears. I pray that he upholds you and helps you in your time of need. One last point. Dear church, you know of my promise. All right, so the first Olympic Games were held somewhere between 800 and 400 B.C. And much like the Olympics today, the Olympians would compete and then they would be recognized. Now, they didn't have college football, bless their hearts, but uh, they did have the Olympics, right? And so it was a really big deal when an Olympian athlete competed and they would be paraded out in front of this massive group and then they would be brought up onto the podium and then a laurel wreath would be placed on their head. It was often called the victor's crown. That's what Jesus is referring to here as he writes to his church. Look what it says here, verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Church, here's what Jesus is asking of us. Here's what he's calling us to do. Be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. Regardless if your end in life comes from old age, like it did for John, or regardless if your end comes from suffering, 
like Polycarp. Regardless of what the flow of your life, regardless of what happens in this life, be faithful unto death. And if we are, we will show ourselves to be truly children of God. Enduring hardships, enduring suffering with the grace and strength that only Christ can provide. And we will be spared from that second death. You might be thinking, what? (laughs) I got to die two times? The first death comes to us all when we breathe our last. But if you're a Christian, there's a second death that will not come for you. It's a spiritual death. It's an eternal separation from God, void of hope, void of help. But if we repent and we believe in Jesus, he helps us, he stays with us, Get the Spirit as a deposit of things to come, a guarantee, and we will be with him forever and always. Amen. Once again, I know our context is a lot different than Smyrna, but the emotions and the things that were running through their minds are pretty similar to what you and I experience in our world and in our lives. Maybe you're dealing with fear. Maybe you're having a hard time trusting God's timing. Maybe you have financial problems. And maybe you are being persecuted in some form or fashion in your workplace or even in your family, being discarded and exiled. Whatever your trials, whatever your suffering, whatever your tribulations that are, it feels like they're crushing you, please hear this. He knows. He knows. And he cares. I'll close with a reading from the Psalms. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6 reads, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this time. Our band is going to come back up. We're going to enter into a time of response. Whether you've been saved for 50 years, or maybe today you realize you're not a Christian, you can respond to the authoritative word of God this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come down front. But if there's some form of suffering going on in your life where you're really needing the Lord Jesus to intervene, to give you grace and strength, I just want to pray for you right now. If that's you, you're saying, I'm going through something. I need help. I need Jesus. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand so I can pray for you. 
Lord, you have seen these hands lifted. You know the weight that is bearing down on them, the pressure. Lord, we ask through the power of your spirit who dwells in these brothers and in these sisters to give them grace to endure. Lord, we ask that you do a work in those situations that only you can do, that you might receive all glory and honor and praise. And Lord, regardless of what comes in this life, may this church remain resolute. And we always hold high the name of Jesus. We ask all of this in your son Jesus' name.